Hello, imposters, and welcome back to another episode of the You're Not Qualified podcast. This is going to be a bonus episode. I had a conversation with an AI artificial intelligence expert. I was very excited about this conversation, and I could not keep it to myself any longer. So I decided that I'm going to give this to you early. And of course, you'll still have your regularly scheduled podcast episode the first Thursday of next month. So you'll have that as well to look forward to. But this conversation is incredible. It's timely. It's a little terrifying. I I don't think I'm the only one that finds artificial intelligence, how it is developing in our world right now and the projected future of it to be pretty daunting. I don't think I'm alone. Um, I was pretty candid with Ayush in the interview that a lot of even the wrongly perceived reality of what AI is through Hollywood, I get scared. It's a scary prospect of a world that we could be coming into. And I am talking about, you know, your your iRobots and your, I was going to say gremlins, they are not AI, but it really could be something the tune of, all right, don't feed this computer after midnight because shit goes down. We have no clue. That's what I'm afraid of. He goes through some, you know, hypotheticals of what people think, have thought in the past of what the future would look like. We get heavy into what all of this means for our future and what we can do to be more prepared as artificial intelligence comes into fruition in every single aspect that we know of in our life for the most part. It is being said that it will replace many a career when all is said and done, or even when all is 50% said and done, we are just tapping the surface of what AI is actually capable of in our world right now. Armageddon is almost upon us. I got news for you, it's already here. There is so much that we can and really should learn about the future. And generations like Gen Z have a lot weighing on them in terms of how this is going to shape what they can become, and the skill sets that will be the most valuable for the future of work in particular. And the rest of us, the millennials, even beyond, we're not immune. We will be in the workforce for a long time, so we will also have to learn to adapt. But there are transferable skills that you have, and I promise you, well, don't come for me, but... It's not going to be an iRobot future. Please share this episode with anybody who you think it would resonate with, which, you know, side note is probably everybody because AI is everywhere and in everybody's life. We are all afraid together. I don't feel qualified for the future that is developing before my eyes, but you know what? Damn it, I'm going to have to be because I still got to put food on the table. We gotta live, so gotta get prepared. I'm in it with you. Without further ado, let's get into 
artificial intelligence and what the hell it's going to mean for our world. Let's go. Everything all right? Yep. Two corpses. Everything's fine. Today we are welcoming Ayush Prakash to the You're Not Qualified podcast. Ayush is here to talk to us all about AI, a little bit about how imposter syndrome has impacted him and the impact that AI will have on future generations, Gen Z, and the future of the world in general. So excited you're here, Ayush. Thank you. Happy to be here, Courtney. All right. To lay a little bit of groundwork, I am assuming the majority of the people listening to this have heard of, know of AI, but just so we cover our bases, could you define AI for us? For sure. AI is a technology that is very narrow in scope. And when you're thinking about a chess system, it can only play chess. It only adheres to the rules of chess. It's very narrowly focused on chess. If you take the same chess system and put it into a car, it's not going to go anywhere. However, if you take a human who knows how to play chess and put them into a car, they'll be able to drive. That is the difference between the general intelligence that humans have and the narrow intelligence that artificial intelligence has. So when we're talking about artificial intelligence that exists in its current form, we are talking about artificial narrow intelligence systems that are created and focus only on one specific goal, task, or problem. Interesting. I've never heard it described that way. And if you think about all of the different forms of AI, that makes so much sense. So you have your Alexa, you have ChatGBT, you have, would self-driving cars count? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, ChatGPT actually wouldn't count, but we can get into that. Okay. And that is super interesting. I actually, for transparency and for fun, I asked ChatGPT what to ask <laughs> during an AI interview. Sure. AI topic interview. So yeah. a couple of these questions are literally from the chat bot. And mm -hmm. I can let you all know when they come up, but I was just, I felt like that was really. <laughs> goofy and fun and chat. I'll just pop in real quick and let you guys know when I do ask a question from chat GPT and a question before this was one of them. And that was, what is artificial intelligence? It's like inception. It didn't say that, but that's what I thought. BG, GBT is terrifying <laughs> with what it knows. So <laughs> in in TV shows, movies, we have a representation of AI. Yeah. How accurate is this? This was another question recommended by ChatGPT. Is it trying to tell us to be afraid? Not accurate at all. It does represent the fears of humans that we just think because something is a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times smarter than we are as a collective or as individuals, that it's just going to take over us and think of us as superfluous. It represents our innate fears more than the reality of artificial general or super intelligence. It's also the only thing that gets Hollywood films, the budgets, the big budgets. If Ex Machina 
ended with, oh, we're all going to live on a happy planet together. I don't think it would be the scary movie that everybody thinks thinks about mm-hmm. it. If her was a different AI, had a different ending, it wouldn't it wouldn't give us or leave us with the same impact that it did. However, there always is the black swan risk of artificial general and super intelligence. We don't know. It's called the misalignment problem, actually. Nick Bostrom and Eliza Yudkowsky, I believe is how you pronounce his name. They really talk about, we don't know how artificial intelligence systems, when they become generally intelligent, remember like the difference between narrow and general intelligence, when they become generally intelligent, there's this thing called the intelligence explosion. And I'll just linger on this because it's really important to understand. So the intelligence explosion is, so basically when AI achieves general intelligence, it's called the singularity. Now the singularity event is when AI starts being uncontrolled by humans. So it's the point in time where technology is not controlled by humans. Technology starts controlling itself. It's general intelligence. Are we thinking like iRobot? Kind of. The singularity definition comes from a black hole because the event horizon we can't see past. So this point in history, we would not be able to predict what happens because technology is controlling itself. It's acting on its own accord, not not based on how humans want it to act. So the kind of worry is that after the singularity, a generally intelligent AI would look at itself, how it's programmed, how it's created, and say, why did humans program me in ABC? Why wouldn't it do XYZ? And then it would change itself. So instead of AGI 1.0, it would be AGI 2.0. But then the same AGI 2.0 would look at itself again and mm-hmm. say, wait, let me fix all of this. Because remember, it's recoding itself. It's rebuilding itself to be smarter, faster, more efficient. And so... would become 3.0, would become 5.0, would become 10.0, would become 100.0. And you get this exponential curve of an intelligence explosion. And that's why the singularity is we are so frightened because we code AI in a certain way. When the intelligence explosion happens after the singularity, we don't know what that super intelligent entity will want, will be thinking about, will consider about humans. And that's where this existential risk of superintelligence is all going to kill us. That's where it comes from for all of these Hollywood adaptations. Very interesting. The way that you say what it will want, I got chills. It's horrifying, if I'm not lying. And for these different adaptations, so 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, when it's constantly updating itself, is it taking at warp speed all of its environment and the data there and saying, basically, oh, I should be able to function in this way to be able to do a task? Or how is it understanding that it needs to upgrade? This is just all theoretical right now. Yeah. But I understand what you're saying is like, what is it upgrading and why is it upgrading those mm-hmm. things? I guess these are just... I guess you can call them thought experiments. You can call them theorizing how a generally intelligent AI would perform and try to look at itself. Because if you're a generally intelligent AI, speaking from a human point of view or speaking from the human expert's point of view, 
you would look at yourself and you would look at your goals of solve cancer, fix world hunger, all of those things that you probably have programmed in yourself. And you would say, instead of solving these right now, let me reprogram myself to be better, faster, more efficient so I can solve them in a better, faster, more efficient way. These are like kind of steps along the journey to solving that goal. But how, the problem is that when it starts upgrading itself, what if all of those values that we've instilled in it become superfluous to it? What if it reprograms those values out of its system? So there's a, do you know of the paperclip maximizer problem? No. In AI? So I, I believe Nick Bostrom, who's an Oxford AI ethicist, he's the one that came up with this. Basically, if we create an AGI to maximize paperclip production, but we don't give it the right parameters, parameters in the sense of what are you focusing on and like, where do you stop? So like the parameters of this conversation are artificial intelligence, imposter syndrome, English, right? These are like the boundaries of where we're going to go in this conversation. So if we program an AGI to maximize paperclip production, but we don't give it the right parameters, we don't tell it when to stop. What if it upgrades itself to super intelligence, creates a machine that just changes all matter in the world, in the universe into paperclips? Now it sounds far-fetched. It sounds like what are these crackheads <laughs> talking about? But this is, this is where the conversation is headed or is already centered around mm -hmm. when it comes to artificial general intelligence and super intelligence. It's all under the umbrella of the misalignment problem. If we don't align AGI, ASI with our priorities, our goals, our values, and just let it do its own thing, we have no clue what's going to happen. Yeah. This is a really great segue into the <laughs> feelings, the sentiments that I pulled from IG. Sure. I have a couple of questions I asked all around preparedness. So touching on people's feelings around, can I even participate in the world that is going to be much more dominated by AI sure. all the way down to how they feel about AI in general. And I actually, one of these, I'll just have to pull up my phone because I have an updated poll for that last one, but we can start with, I asked, do you feel prepared to remain in the workforce along with AIs at scales? We chatted before hitting record that people are much more prepared than they think. And mm -hmm. it just takes maybe a couple of pivots, but you have to do it. You have yeah. to work at it. Yeah. Uh, the three answers. Yes, I've been researching it. 40% said that, which is great. Mm -hmm. It was the highest of all of them. 27% did say no, and it's pretty daunting. And then there's 33% that say, oh, I really don't think about it, which is the reason that you're here, Ayush. So that's mm -hmm. really great because yeah. a lot of people don't think about it. It's one of those, we don't understand it. So if you don't understand it, historically speaking, you kill it or you ignore it <laughs> and we can't kill it. So we have to just go on with our life and kind of hope it doesn't touch us. But I'm really curious on what you feel about these numbers and if you're seeing the same types of trends in the research you've been doing. In one of the most impactful AI books I've ever read, it's called Life 3.0 Life by Dr. Max Tegmark. He wrote about 
horses towards the beginning of the 20th century. And I think 1913 was the advent of the assembly line by Mr. Ford in Detroit. And Ford makes cars. And so at the beginning of the 20th century, people were like, cars are going to replace everything. They were like, no, it's no, they're not. What's going to happen with the horses? The horses became horse meat for dogs. And so if we're not focusing on the ways technology is already changing our lives, think about how instilled AI is in your life already. Look at your Instagram feed. Look at your YouTube feed. Look at your Spotify feed. Look at Alexa. Look at your car. Look at all of these like billboards look at these like the the panels in the mall like you click you can click on and everything ai is everywhere and so you have this explicit example of ai is ubiquitous in society but you also have this dichotomy where you don't think it's going to affect you that's a problem and it's not necessarily a problem with those people that are thinking in that way it's a problem with the experts for not being explicit and this i guess i can speak to it a little bit where when I was reading about artificial intelligence, I'm just a philosophy undergrad, right? I had no experience in this field. I went into philosophy to learn about AI ethics, but I didn't know anything when I started my journey into this. And so as I was reading all of these AI books, I thought to myself, why is no one talking about AI for Gen Z? We are the last hired, first fired. We are the ones that are going to be the first to be replaced by all of these automation forces but no one's telling us this. And then you abstract that onto the entire workforce, onto all of the people that are going to be affected. And then you wonder why is only Andrew Yang and a handful of other people coming out and say, no, you guys need to really focus and understand that in the next five to 10 years, you are not going to have a job. Like your entire field is going to be replaced. It's not going to exist. You need to focus on reskilling. You need to focus on learning the humanities. You need to focus on social philosophy. You need to do something else. You need to combine skills. Why is no one else saying that? So it's not necessarily just a problem of these people are wrong or these people are naive or these people are ignorant to what's coming. It's also the communications problem in our society where we're not talking about this enough for people to say, oh, I need to like wake up and I need to really watch all of these podcasts from Lex Friedman and I need to hone in on what AI is, what it is not, how to overcome it, and what are the next best steps to future-proof myself from the next iterations of artificial intelligence. Whose responsibility is it to bring this information to the masses? Is it the government, would you say? That's a good question. I would say it's a cheap answer, but it's all of our responsibilities. To, it's whose responsibility is it to tell us an asteroid is going to hit Earth? Is it just NASA? What if not only NASA knows about this? What if all other agencies? Is it like, like who is it's responsible? Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> exactly. Don't look up. Yeah. That's a seminal movie because it was when, you know, feces hits the fan. How does society react? And so if you're asking who is responsible, sure, governments can take that responsibility, but we've seen what happens when governments start informing citizens of certain things in society. 
how people really react to point. that. Even within the last three years, yeah. Even within the last three years, I wonder what happened. <laughs> is it the corporation's responsibility? Because then people would say, if you're informing us that you're going to replace us, why don't you not replace us? If it's experts in the field, oh, those are just the crackhead lunatics. We can just dismiss them. They're just like a group of individuals. They'll be referred to as Illuminati or Freemason or something or New World Order. And then we just forget about them. I think it falls on the individuals that have done the research and that understand it. Um, I don't have to say myself. I can say other people. I do believe that you shouldn't just listen to me or other experts. You should do your own research. You should come to those conclusions yourself. You shouldn't. You should take my threads of knowledge or the conversational threads I give to you and you should expand your knowledge on them by yourself come to your own conclusion through your own research so it's not just regurgitating the information you've heard but you have it instilled in you I do think there's a, an argument for your friends your family your co-workers even you can make like a community out of it it's the onus doesn't necessarily just fall on the authorities, I think it falls on society at large. And the more of these conversations that are had and displayed, the more people understand, oh, this is coming. Mm -hmm. I also yeah. think that there's, yeah, they just, as you said, it's not ignorance. It's just, you don't know. Yeah. You don't know. And I love that. It's really important to do due diligence. And the five to 10 years, I've heard that quite mm -hmm. a bit. It's very hard to imagine that that quickly yeah. it was gonna happen but yeah I mean I can definitely speak to that in my own mind whenever people would say the next 15 to 20 years is going to be riddled with automation I would always like roll my eyes and say I believe you I want to believe you and I want to spread this message but like where are explicit examples of this and then the other day I went to Uniqlo and I was buying just one item and I went to the cashier section, or so I thought, and there was one woman standing around. And I said, oh, is this not the right place? And she says, no, you can just drop it in the bin and then do it yourself. And there was like seven like bins. And I looked at her and I wasn't trying to be rude or anything, but I was like, what's your job? Like, why are you here? And she said, oh, to help the people that don't understand how to use the machine. This was one person and they yeah. got rid of all of their cashiers. And this is in, this was, this is in Toronto or near Toronto in retail, in retail. And then I asked her, do you have job security? And she just looked at me and she says, I'm still here. And this is the kind of, it's one thing for Amazon, the Amazon go grocery stores to build automation from the ground up where it's we're going to create an entire infrastructure where humans are out of the loop. Humans are mostly out of the loop. It's another thing to replace a store that was built around humans, around human interaction, around giving your clothes to humans, them scanning it, them talking to you. Hey, how was your day? And then removing all of that and just replacing it with machines that just with a couple of clicks, you're in and out. There's a massive difference in the level of fright I have now with how these automated technologies are going to be integrated into places like Uniqlo, but also like Walmart, like Amazon warehouses, like call centers. Mm. It's difficult to comprehend now, but as soon as you see it, then you start understanding and realizing, oh, 
crap, this, it's not even happening. It happened. Yeah, it really did. I was in customer service for a long time and there was a startup I was working at. And I am now realizing as you're talking about this, the pattern of labor and how Mm -hmm. they would eliminate it and replace it. And it was at first higher in-house in Seattle, expensive labor. Then it was let go of some of that labor, outsource to another country. And from there, they were, okay, still a little bit expensive. Now we can have methods to have auto chat to point you to a help center article if you have a certain question. So that's the first line of defense. So get rid of a couple more labor, implement this chat bot that will point you to help resources that are literature on the website or the internet, eliminate Mm. that labor. That was seven years ago. Mm. So thinking that was the thought then with the tools that they had, when the tools are so much better now, it's, yeah, it's like, we did know this was coming, but at the time the people in-house were like, oh no, that's a, that's really against the policy here because we want to have the human connection, Yeah. but the company, they cared about human connection, but not so much that they needed to have a person on the line. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's one of those things where you start realizing how important just speaking to the thing that happened three years ago it makes you realize how important that human connection is yeah when you don't have that even if you don't talk to them it's just nice to see another person that they have a job even though maybe that job sucks you at least know that they're getting paid yeah when you see a machine it just takes all of the humanity away it's just very antisocial and strange and Especially when you see the transition of, oh, there used to be humans here and now there aren't. It's like, how valuable are humans now? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's weird. It is weird. It's one of the weirdest feelings. And there's tons of memes out there, but you're screaming into the phone operator because you don't want to talk to the bot and you just want some person to resolve your problem faster yeah. than the computer can. Yeah. So immediately when I have something like that, the computer automation comes up, press one for this. Then I'm just like operator, (laughs) operator. And someday you're not even going to get to one. (laughs) Someday it's not going to be there. It's only until those AI systems outperform humans on certain tasks, and then we'll just prefer it. And that's going to be an even weirder time where you accidentally type human and then you start, oh my God, like, I don't want to speak to a human. I just want the AI. That's going to be wild. (laughs) Yeah, well, I love the direction we were going in terms of people feeling qualified and empowered to Mm -hmm. pivot into, I used machine learning as a specific example when I pulled, but for people's preparedness and how they feel, there were 30% that felt that they did have skills that qualify perfect. 20% have no clue, cannot pinpoint a skill that they have that would easily transfer into machine learning in particular. 
And then the third, which I loved it. I giggled. Have you seen iRobot? We don't want this. 50% mm. of people said they definitely don't even want AI to scale, which we touched on in the intro that that's Hollywood and it's not necessarily what it would be like. These robots are not going to take over your life. Yeah. But 50% are just, they're still really scared. What would you say? And what do you say? You've talked about fears. How do you mitigate fear? Mitigate fear in terms of AI automating you or of AI in general? AI in general. I said that ChatGPT is not really an example yeah. earlier. And so let me just clarify what I meant. ChatGPT is narrowly intelligent, but people don't perceive it as narrow intelligence. And that is why there's so much hype, so much mainstream fear, because people are saying it can code, it can write, it can answer questions. How is that not general intelligence? ChatGPT understands nothing. It cannot do basic arithmetic. It is a technological feat of statistics. For example, why do I say it can't do arithmetic? ChatGPT is trained on, it's a neural network. A neural network is a type of AI system under the term deep learning. So when you think of artificial neural networks, or when you hear of these terms, these are all just forms of training and building artificial intelligence. Training refers to taking certain pieces of data and feeding it to artificial intelligence so it can learn. So if you're building a chess artificial intelligence system, you feed it lots of chess games. If you're training a, an artificial intelligence system to detect fraud, you train it on a bunch of fraud data, mm -hmm. like text and stuff. So these chat GPT-like systems are what, is known as, are what are known as large language models, LLMs. And so what they do is they get trained on like millions and millions of pieces of text and code. And then humans go in and start fiddling with the system and give it feedback to improve it. And so number one, there's a massive problem with it because if in those millions and millions of texts, the term like two plus two equals four comes up, naturally the system will be trained on two plus two equals four. So when you go and ask the system, what is two plus two, it will output four, not because it understands what you're saying or is doing that math, but because in the training, it like statistically, it two plus two equals four came up so much. That's just what it regurgitates. It is a data aggregator. Let me come back to what you were talking about in terms of fear of AI. If we scale up these LLMs, ChatGPT and GPT-4 and GPT-10, general intelligence will not emerge. Let me outright say that. It's not like a, LLMs are not a precursor to AGI. No Terminator-like system is going to come out of ChatGPT-10 or something. It's not going to happen. <laughs> My fear of AI is not the systems itself, but how people use the systems. AI is becoming a proxy for people with power. And let me define what I mean by power. People and corporations like IBM, like Microsoft, like Google, it is becoming a proxy for them to harness lots of your data, infringe on your privacy, and also to make boatloads of money with you not getting any of it. That is the problem. And then you turn into Google had Project Maven with the Pentagon 
which was going to use facial recognition in order to put them into drones. Is that okay? What if IBM creates a creates an AI system that is really good at automating call centers? Like, I, I believe it was Google Duo, Duplex. Have you did you listen to that at all? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Google no, Duplex. Not at all. I think it was 2018 or 2019. And this was, nothing really came out of it, but this was just an example of Google demonstrating how natural AI systems can sound. It was an AI system that you would be able to tell, hey, book me a haircut at 7 p.m. next Thursday. And it would call and literally sound like a person talking to the other person, including the ums and ahs of natural human conversation. This is the problem of AI. It's the problem that those with the data those with already established monopolies over artificial intelligence systems, they're only going to get more powerful. I was talking to an AI startup or an AI lab in Colombia. They were saying, if you're not IBM or Google or Microsoft, you're out of the game. They're only going to get better and no one else can come into this playing field. So the fear of AI isn't overblown in the sense of we shouldn't not worry about super intelligence. But we have other narrowly intelligent problems that we should be focusing on more so. I could not agree more. I usually, it's, a, it's a very poignant conversation. I'm so for those folks that said the last question that I had, do you trust AI? And the poll ended yesterday. 68% of people definitely not. It has to be concerned. So I love what you said there. And for that majority of people, because only 30% thinks that it can do good, there is fear to be had about Absolutely. who harnesses the power of AI. Absolutely. In that conversation, there are companies that are pushing for regulations. So let's talk about that for a little sure. bit. The current state of AI regulations and policies on a global level, from what I understand, is in incredibly minimal. Do you have more data on that? It's zero. Okay. This was another question that ChatGPT posed when I asked it, basically, what was the current state of AI regulations and policies worldwide? I just modified it a little bit because I knew that it was minimal. And here we have it. It's zero. I feel so safe. They're really, other than like the EU AI Act, which I have pulled up here, there's very, as you said, minimal policies on artificial intelligence in general. <laughs> and just rhetorically speaking, what do you mean by artificial intelligence? Are you talking about like algorithms, neural mm -hmm. networks? Are we talking about super intelligence? Or what do you mean by AI? And then what domain of artificial intelligence do you mean? Do you mean like facial recognition? Do you mean automation? Do you mean autonomous weapons? Do you mean self-driving cars? What are we talking about? And then you have to also ask, what AI are you talking about? AI in 2017? AI now? AI five years from now? Are you talking about ChatGPT? There's so many crevices of like gray areas where it's just like trying to create a policy is a non-starter. 
it's I put this in the book and I was like chuckling to myself when I was writing it. But regulating AI is like regulating flip phones in 2022. Doesn't even make sense because you're regulating a technology that like you don't understand, but also that's going to change in the next five, in the next two or three years, not even five. And so at the same time, policies are starting to be talked about. But there's another problem, which is just because the US or the EU regulates AI doesn't mean that Saudi Arabia is going to, doesn't mean Mm. that China is going to, doesn't mean that Nigeria is going to, doesn't mean that Iran, Israel, all of these, India, all of these countries are not just going to say, oh, you guys are regulating it? Okay, cool. I guess we have your regulations. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so this is one of the problems with, it's a game theoretic perspective. So if you regulate it, doesn't mean I have to regulate it. Your regulations prohibit you from doing certain things that will give you a decisive advantage. Cool. I get the advantage. I win. So when we talk about AI regulations, like for autonomous weapons, for example, why would you regulate autonomous weapons if your adversaries are not? You're just crippling your own weapon systems, your own military. And so when you think about AI regulations, it's it's not that we don't want to, we can't. We automatically lose if you're looking at it from that perspective. This is ethically complex. It's ethically complex, but like, it's easy to understand when you just look at it from, if we do it, we lose. Like we genuinely, in order for national security to remain secure, we can't. We, it's just, we can't try and stop development of autonomous drones, autonomous tanks, autonomous submarines. If China is doing it, if Russia is doing it, if Iran is doing it, if India is doing it, we, it puts us at a a bigger risk if we choose to listen to the people, the ethicists that are shouting from the mountaintops of, don't do it. It's, yeah, but there's also 330 million people in the United States that would want to be safe. So, Yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) Such deep shit. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. It's so much deeper than I anticipated. Yeah. But... In terms of, I know, okay, you're saying putting a cap on the growth, harnessing, it's difficult. And a lot of times it's at a disadvantage of who's doing it, right? Because another company or another country, sorry, is not going to follow suit. And they're going to use what you harnessed, what they didn't harness against you in the ways that these and I should have looked it up, apologies for not, but there are companies banding together that are asking the government, the US government, to have AI regulations put in place. Oh God, is it Microsoft and Apple? Big companies. And I believe the idea is to slow the growth and harness AI to better understand it and control it. It sounds like that might not be advantageous one and two might not even work they might not get what they want but also they want to use it they want to use it themselves so let's also be real this is a capitalist society (laughs) absolutely let me just go back to what i was saying about other countries not regulating it's not Mm -hmm. the only reason why ai regulations don't exist it's because technology is so complex people don't understand it 
yeah. one of one of the problems with AI is transparency. So if you go to apply for a mortgage and you get rejected, you can talk to the mortgage advisor or whatever, say, why did I get rejected? They'll list it. But if you give your mortgage application to an algorithm and it rejects you, there's no guarantee that's going to tell you why. And there was a case of the Apple card in 2017 or 2018 where a husband and a wife applied for the same Apple card with the same with the same credentials. The husband got approved for a credit limit 20 times higher than his wife. And so they called Apple or Goldman Sachs or whatever. They said, why did this happen? And they said, oh, we use an algorithm. We can't really tell you. Sorry. The same thing for Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak. Him and his wife held the same assets. And his wife, he got approved for like a credit limit $10,000 higher or something like that. And so when you're thinking about transparency, it's not just it's not just about the AI systems are opaque, but it's they can't even explain it. Like AI, AI explainability is a big deal, but yeah. it's impossible because you expect IBM and Microsoft to tell you exactly how their AI systems work. Come on. <laughs> and so not only do we have this problem of other countries are not going to adhere to our regulations, but we also cannot impose any regulations because we don't understand the technology because no one wants to help us understand the technology. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't oh, think I'm making man. anything better. Yeah. No, yeah. I think you're explaining it really well. <laughs> and if we think back to times where Congress has been interrogating those people at the top of companies, and they are trying to understand business models, they asked, we run ads, one person in particular, yep. 20 different ways, how you yep. make money. We run mm -hmm. ads. They ask them yep. again a different way. Yep. I'm not saying Congress doesn't understand anything. I'm saying it's probably generational. However, mm -hmm. it doesn't make me very confident that they could harness something if they can't understand that you make money from ads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, 100%. It's also, there's so many technicalities with it. It's yeah. this is the biggest convergence of technical and ethical knowledge where it's so much for one 65 year old to understand that doesn't mm -hmm. really care. They just it's difficult to give them a TLDR of it. Yeah. So, just going to your point. It really is. Yeah. My <laughs> trying to explain it to like my day job to my 80 year old grandpa. It's mm -hmm. it's not easy. But it's also not impossible in a lot of ways. It's, it, it, yeah, it might become very necessary. Okay. I would love to get into your book sure. and talk more about the jobs you mm. feel AI is likely to mm -hmm. replace from your research. So let's dive into your book in particular and how you are helping Gen Z. I'll just say this now and then never again, but don't, you don't have to buy the book or anything. Like I put out a 30 minute podcast about it, which can be found on my channel. If you don't want that, like I can create a PDF and send it to your audience. This is not about the money. This is just okay. about the messaging. I don't care about 
you like giving me money or anything just i just want your audience and hopefully levels out of your audience to have that information and to just deal with it digest it all i'll just say that now that's very kind absolutely yeah you're here for good (laughs) absolutely no i fundamentally believe like even if i was not like that people would find a way to torrent it anyway why and like, why would I have a monopoly on the information? I assembled it and assimilated it for people to understand. And like, I put it behind a paywall. That doesn't make any sense. I think going against everything you're talking about right now. Exactly. Like democratizing no. AI. <laughs> yeah, no, it's absurd. I hate people who do that, where it's yeah. like, you have to pay me for all the information, but I'm doing the information for good. It's like, those two things don't add up. Anyway, the book is simply for Gen Z to understand how artificial intelligence is changing the world and hopefully to get a grasp on how their lives will be changed because of it. So the information in the book is talking about Gen Z and the environment, Gen Z and work, Gen Z and the pandemic. And then it talks about AI bias and transparency, AI responsibility, autonomous weapons, deep fakes, and then the biggest one of them all, automation. What Gen Z need to know is to get the F off of TikTok, Instagram, YouTube shorts, and to really focus on securing their skills for the future because they are not in a very good position to be continuously employed or steadily employed over the next five to 10 years. If they are not careful and if they just think I'll work a minimum wage job until I'm 30 or I'm not going to go to college this is a massive problem. And the reason I'm being very blunt about it is people need to really wake up and see where the technological zeitgeist is at, because it's not pretty at all. Automation is happening. And even if you don't believe that the technology is there, you will be replaced by people in Asia or Africa or the Middle East that will work for fractions of what you want. And so any way you cut it, any way you cut it, You need to focus on developing your skills. What does that mean? Focus on technical skills. If you don't like STEM, focus on humanities. You need to start focusing on social and emotional intelligence, even basic things like making eye contact, making conversation, checking in on people. These are all massively beneficial skills for you to possess and like enhance for jobs. Focusing on how artificial intelligence works how it operates what it cannot do how it can augment your work and even now we can not talk about the book and talk about gpt there are literal jobs that suggest or that pay you like three hundred thousand dollars a year or something to give feedback to chat gpt like how wild is that this was like my brother sent me the article a couple of uk firms were hiring people and paying them like three hundred thousand to understand how ChatGPT works and ChatGPT-like systems and to give them feedback and to use the prompts in the most beneficial way. How wild is that? And all you have to do, all you have to do is understand artificial intelligence. Just take a week, get all the books. Like you go on Amazon, it'll use artificial intelligence to recommend you the books. Like you don't even have to pay for the books. Go on YouTube and type in Max Tegmark, Nick Bostrom, Lex Friedman, Stuart Russell, all of these seminal AI figures that will explain it to you in simple terms. It's like you don't have an excuse for not doing everything you can in order to secure your future. And frankly, 
if you don't take those steps, if you aren't careful, if you aren't able or willing or confident to plan out your future, you unfortunately will be replaced. And that's the kind of either you do it or you suffer the consequences. And that's basically the premise of the book where, look, now you have the information, go do something with it. When, and this is future tripping in a way that might not pan out this way. Sure. When unemployment rates, let's say inevitably drop because, or sorry, rise because folks are not prepared to find Mm -hmm. jobs in the new reality. There will probably then be a lot of reactive moves from the government, but what kind of jobs will there be uh, that yeah, I actually didn't are answer not. your question. Apologies. Oh, no, um, that's okay. That was a great answer. And now I'm just thinking there has to be some left. No, there, there definitely will be. Let me go back to what you were saying. I got wrapped up in <laughs> the <okay>. messaging. <laughs> the jobs that will be replaced will be low skill and low level physical and cognitive labor. So there are two classes mm-hmm. of labor right now, physical and cognitive. Physical, obviously, like Amazon warehouse workers, they use their hands, they use their bodies, they're picking up stuff, moving them around. Cognitive Mm -hmm. is more like what you're doing. It's just using your mind and or like design, for instance, it's just using your mind to create things. We've seen automation on both levels. We've seen artificial intelligence win an art contest at the Colorado State Fair. If you remember last year, the AI news came out where an artist that used artificial intelligence to create the image one first place and artists were furious they were like these ais were trained on our work we didn't get any of the any money or anything and this person won what the hell and then you see the physical labor which i mean it's pretty obvious that robots are going to be replacing a lot of physical labor so low level physical and cognitive labor low level physical would be amazon warehouse workers a lot of drivers are going to be replaced in terms of cognitive it would be like call center workers it would be now it's surprisingly low level writers and software developers people don't believe it but it's you don't need to hire someone to code a website or to create artwork it's just you just know how to you need to know how to type in a prompt so people who unfortunately are new to fields people who have not spent a lot of time are just getting by they will be the ones that are replaced people who are making the minimum wages, stocking shelves, moving boxes, driving, transporting. All of those people are unfortunately going to be the ones in the immediate crossfire. Yeah, I do believe those are the initial victims of automation. Yeah. My partner does a lot of coding and Mm. he used ChatGBT, but Mm. he used to code and... The code was immaculate. He said he maybe had to do two edits and that was not because the code was bad. It was for like something aesthetic that he was trying to produce. And he is also very much so aware that his job will be replaced. Mm -hmm. He's like making steps in terms of like investments and like really pushing me because I work in product for my day job and I help solve literal software bugs. And that's also going to be replaced uh, because they won't need a person doing that because the machine can do it better. But 
it's just so fascinating that it's, it feels so far off. And I've said this before, I'm just trying to wrap my brain mm-hmm. around it, but it's just yeah. not, it's just it's not because we're seeing yeah. it before our very eyes in sometimes minute ways, but maybe grander than we even realize. It's just, it's absolutely nuts. But Gen Z, hopefully will spread this message as far as I possibly can. Uh, Gen Z is part of my audience. I also have a lot of millennials Mm. and I'm a millennial myself and realizing only through, through the podcast, how big of a deal this is going to be. And then connecting the dots in my personal life and being like, oh shit, like my job might be because I do this and it can replace this. So it's building blocks on top of the knowledge that you gain. But for those people that are solidly in the workplace right now, and they are doing coding jobs or jobs that are likely to be replaced, how should they be preparing in your opinion? It's it's one of the problems where I've also struggled with communicating because my advice, it's not general. What works for a nurse will not work for an Amazon warehouse worker, which will not work for a driver, which will not work for a software developer. So it's very contextual. There is a general problem, which I refer to as the job saturation problem, which goes like, I'm an Amazon warehouse worker. I was just replaced. I was given a three-month severance. So I take a week off and I'm getting paid, but I need a job. And so I start reskilling myself to become a software developer. The problem is, the first problem is that a bunch of my buddies are also reskilling themselves to become a software developer. And this kind of abstract, or not abstracts, but these repercussions are felt around the workforce, around the world. So the fields that are going to be left are going to become so saturated with talent that the only people that are able to get back into employment are going to be the best of the best. However, (laughs) the next problem is that those fields that are left are going to be even more susceptible to automation because as soon as people come in, companies are going to have to pay them. Those people are not going to be very experienced. And so there's going to be incentive for other companies to try to automate those jobs. And so these, the cycle continues. And so there's, again, it's difficult. Every automation book I've read, Future Proof, The War on Normal People, Human Compatible, Human Plus Machine, Work, all of these books detail that automation is happening, but they don't detail what to do about it. They detail like code, really. Learn to code. So we don't need to learn to code now. So what else do I do? Learn, learn emotional intelligence. Yeah, humanities. Yeah. Learn the humanities. Like what humanities? Social philosophy? Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like ethics. What do I learn? Which philosophers do I study? Which writers do I study? And I suffer from the same thing. I'm not excluded from this. I don't have an answer for people when they're saying, What do I do? It's this is what I mean when it's when we talk about learn artificial intelligence and learn what it does and what it cannot do, because you will find certain things that pertain to you. That's unfortunately the best advice that I have now because it's just like such a novel problem where we don't know how it's going to turn out and what jobs are going to be left. And we're also right in the middle of the transition. And so we don't know how it's going to end as well. 
And so that's currently where my thoughts are. It's yeah. it's unfortunate and I apologize, but that's we're not all here to sugarcoat. There is to it. Exactly. We need to inspire action. Absolutely. Uh, the differences in the class levels though, as you said before, mm. that maybe not maybe intention, maybe just natural result the poor are going to be poor and the rich are going to be richer because those people that still have these companies that don't have to pay for labor anymore, the labor workers aren't going to get paid, but they're going to keep their money. The ones at the top. Yeah. Yeah. It's people always talk about UBI or GLI. UBI is universal basic income. GLI is guaranteed livable income. Talk about NIT as a negative income tax. Like these are not solutions. The, we should have them. I'm not saying we shouldn't. We definitely should have some sort of UBI or GLI for majority of the population. We should say that people who make over a certain amount are exempt from it so that we're not just like giving money to people who already have money. 100%. Like we should have these things. Some economists may disagree, but this is not the answer because humans need meaning. We need work. We need to do something. We can't just sit in our Oculus and play video games all day and watch adult films and like eat Cheetos all day. That's not what human life is meant to be. And so even if our jobs are automated, even if we are given UBI and GLI, we have to reformat society. And this is what I mean when it, when we start talking about this, it's like, it's not just work. It's everything. We have to change our education institutions. No one's talking about teaching kids CRISPR, biotech, nanotech, space exploration, artificial intelligence, robotics. It's like, there are so many different fields. We are not teaching our youth. We're still instilling them with, this is the Pythagorean theorem. Yeah. Who cares? And you're an undergrad right now. So you're seeing all of this. You, and you can also attest the education within collegiate is not, it's not good enough. It's not even that it's not good enough. It's like almost indoctrinating our current youth and our future youth with just the most replaceable mindsets it's like it's not even education our education institutions were built on trying to inspire and nurture the greatest minds i don't think that happens anymore there's a fundamental failing in public schools as well and we can even talk like matt walker's why we sleep book which details some kids age is like 11 to 14 or 11 to 16 are getting like five hours of sleep a night it's like these are fundamental crimes then you have to build on top of that okay what are they learning they're not learning anything to make them future proof to make them understand the future we are automating all of the easy to get jobs and replacing them with specialized jobs we're not teaching people how to specialize themselves we're not regulating social media so that you're just like on tiktok all day so your attention span is like three seconds it's Courtney, we're building such a weird, destructive future for our youth and no one's talking about it. It's like, we all can see what is happening. We are, we all are feeling the repercussions. I'm sure all of your audience has felt their attention span lessening, has felt the collective intelligence of our society lessening, but we're not doing anything. We're just sitting here, just continuously using these platforms, continuously sending our children to antiquated education systems, continuously neglecting AI practices, continuously neglecting the information about automation and autonomous weapons and super intelligence. And nothing happens. Nothing happens. 
So if you were to ask of listeners, yeah, we need to mobilize now. You need to start acting now off TikTok. <laughs> what are the, let's say three tangible next steps people need to be taking that you start from zero and we need to get to five. Learn some type, some mix of technical and humanities um, research or field. It can be anything. Just try to create combinations of skills instead of just one set of skills. If you're learning like neuroscience, learn AI and neuroscience or something. If you're learning crypto, learn crypto and ethics, or I'm just speaking out loud. These may just be superfluous. The next step would be to just really learn about artificial intelligence. It's going to be the biggest thing that disrupts our society. And third would be to do your own research. I really believe this shouldn't even be a step. It should be step zero. I could be lying about everything. I could be wrong about everything. You need to do your own research to understand what is taking place and to figure out for yourself what those next steps should be. Because my advice could pertain to my imaginary or my imagination of the perfect citizen, which may not be who you are in a general sense. But if I'm not speaking to you, then it means nothing to you in a very literal sense. So what I'm trying to say is do your own research, try to figure out what's happening in your field, how you can augment yourself. Maybe you don't have to jump ship into a new field. Maybe you just have to do a couple of things. See what experts in your field and in fields are saying and mm -hmm. go from there. The last and most important thing, and I was telling you before we hit record, I did a talk in Boston about my book and uh, I asked how the kids over there, not kids, but the university. I was like their age. I'm 21. I'm tired of saying kids. <laughs> I was a speaker. So I was asking them how many people here think that they will be automated. And 60% of the hands were raised. And mm. I was like, I was not prepared for that. I expected 30%. It was just one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't give them hope. I told them that their lives were going to be disrupted. I told them that if they're not careful, they'd be screwed but i never told them that if they focused and if they put in the work they would be okay and this i think is a good segue to talk about the imposter syndrome because you need to start you need to take that first step even if you don't know which way you're which direction you're going to go you need to take the first step even if you take five steps in the wrong direction it's better to know that you're going in the in the wrong direction than never taking that first step, never leaving comfort. You need to start, you need to start now, and you need to be confident that even if you are initially wrong, that you will figure it out. The biggest thing that holds us back, I believe, is our fear of being wrong. It's okay to be wrong. I was wrong, I, I'm still wrong on certain things, and I will continue to be wrong, and I'm okay with that. But being wrong should not stop you from writing that book, starting that podcast, going or applying for that job, reskilling for a certain field, 
moving to a new city, whatever it may be. Being wrong is not a barrier. It's just a hurdle you have to get over. And you can pivot. If you're wrong, research why you're wrong. Don't take it to heart. Everybody's wrong. Pivot, figure it out. Keep moving forward. That's a really beautiful hope to end on because you're not powerless in this. It feels Mm -hmm. like it, but you're not. You just have to do diligence, do your research, figure out. You don't even have to give up your passions. Figure out how your passions line up with the new future and just take the step. Do it. And know that you're not alone. It can feel so isolating and lonely that you're o- you're the only one on this path and no one else understands your problems and no one else is. You'd be surprised if you talk to people, just maybe the barista at Starbucks or something or someone at the bus stop or at the train stop or a family member or a friend, like how many people are confused and want to start something but don't know how to and just Again, we go back to human connection, just having that, oh, you're another human that has the same problems as me. Maybe we can talk about it and then figure out a solution together. That that will get you somewhere. Have conversations, talk to people, start. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of being wrong and see where it goes. Beautiful. Ayush, this was an incredible conversation. I thank you so much. You are wise beyond your years. I'm sure you get that a lot. Shocked that you're 21, (laughs) but we're in the You're Not Qualified podcast. We do not discriminate against age. So I will just say I'm impressed. Keep going. That's amazing. Where can people find you? And if they want to buy, if they want to buy your book, where can they find it? You can find it on Amazon. But if you don't want to buy it, just DM me. I'll send you a PDF. I don't care. I'm on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Gen Z Diplomat, like a play on words. Because it's so I'm ironic. You're yeah. on TikTok and Instagram. I know. But Watch his videos, but then get off. Exactly. No, 100%. Just <laughs> click on it, derive the information, and then leave. But yeah, I hope, you, I hope your audience drives value from this. And just because you're not qualified doesn't mean that you're not able. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Courtney. Hi, hello. Welcome to the end of the episode. Thank you for making it this far. This was a heavy conversation. This was a ton of content over an hour. You're a rock star. If you in any way resonated with this material, please share it with somebody you've maybe talked about artificial intelligence with somebody that you know might be actually impacted by the dawn of this continually new era of advancement that we're seeing in terms of AI. Just share it far and wide. If you know of a Gen Z person, maybe a sibling, maybe a child, maybe somebody that you even work with, Share that as well. They are going to be and are starting to be heavily impacted as are the rest of us, but Gen Z has to deal with it a little bit longer and they're going to get hit a little bit harder, maybe a lot a bit harder, probably not giving that enough credit here. If I think back to the dawn of the internet, which was in my lifetime, (laughs) I 
Obviously, it's pretty young, but I did a little bit of research for this episode on what that was like. And there were news broadcasters sitting in a setting of, you know, they're on live TV and they're talking about this new internet. Some of them were naysayers. They didn't believe that would have any huge impact on the world as we know it. As I use shed for Ford and the dawn of motor vehicles, there were people in that era that didn't think you would replace horses for transportation. As Ayush also said, he could be completely wrong about how he foresees this going for the future of the world. He could be. I would garner a bet here that he's probably not. He might be wrong on some things, but we are seeing AI take hold and we're seeing it manifest in ways that is astonishing for breakthrough technology. And it's not going to stop there. Why would it stop there? So, imposters, do your due diligence. Research on your own. Learn new skills, technical humanities. And consider this a way to almost reinvent yourself. If you don't want to completely dive headfirst in that way, just learn a new skill that seems to map out to what will become of the role that you're in or the career that you're in or the career that you want. Just pivot even a little bit at first and you might find that you like something better. You find something new, whatever it could be. Just don't feel stagnant. Don't be stagnant. Don't feel afraid. It's just the way that the world works and we're part of this wave of new change in development and technology. That's just the way it works. But I hope that you feel empowered by Ayush's message and I hope that you feel empowered to go out and develop newness for yourself. If you take anything away from that, just try to stay relevant. Just go out there and do everything you can and learn about it. Learn about it on your own time. Do your own research and come to your own conclusions. I'm a millennial and we love that shit. We love coming to our own conclusions and doing our own research and figuring it out for ourselves. Go do it. I think that you'll be just fine. So for your trivia today, I was really curious of the time era, not in, you know, your Taylor Swift era era, but the time period of the world era. When did the birth of AI happen? And what was the first iteration of AI within that birth? What, what was the birth of? So the period was between 1940 and 1960 when artificial intelligence started. It was the birth of AI in the wake of cybernetics. The period between 1940 and 1960 was strongly marked by the conjunction of technological developments, of which the Second World War was an accelerator, um, which makes a lot of sense, and the desire to understand how to bring together the functionality of machines and organic beings. Incredible. 
So between 1940 and 1960, 20 years is kind of a big gap. Um, but just remember that. And again, thank you, imposters, for being here. Thank you for listening to the You're Not Qualified podcast. Stoked beyond measure that you're here. If this resonated, please share. You'll find all of the details below for even sharing the post that goes on Instagram. Um, share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it with your Gen Z tribe. And where to find Ayush will also be in the show notes. I am Courtney Heater. I will see you in a couple Thursdays from now. Until then, take care. Bye.